Most of our study this morning is going to come from the 13th chapter of Luke. If you have a Bible handy, you might want to turn and we'll be doing some reading there. Uh, mainly the first nine verses of, of that chapter. And to introduce our thoughts, we're going to start with verse 1 and, and read a few verses and, and go from there. Starting in Luke 13 and verse 1, it says, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So there were some people present at this time and place that told Jesus about some Galileans that while they had gone to make their sacrifices, Pilate had killed them and their blood mixed with the blood of the sacrifices. In verse 2 it says, And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? Jesus asked them, Do you think that because they suffered these things and were killed and had their blood mixed with the blood of the sacrifice, that they were sinners above and beyond what the other Galileans were? For Jesus to have asked this question, it must have been in the hearts and minds of some of the people there. Maybe they were even talking about it. In, in verse 3, Jesus says, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Jesus told them, no, that this is not the case. These people were not punished by Pilate or by God. They weren't allowed to be killed because of their sins. And Jesus tells them, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Jesus speaking there, he says, you repent and, or you'll perish. Jesus didn't have sin in his life, but each and every one of us do have sin in our life. So I say, unless we repent, we will perish. And then he goes on in verse 4 and says, Are those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell? And slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I'm not sure if these 18 were building this tower when it fell, or if the tower was already there and they just happened to be close and the tower fell on them. But they perished nonetheless when this t tower fell. And Jesus uses this is another example to make the same point. He said, do you think that God is punishing these 18 for their sins? And in verse 5, again, he says, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We all go through difficult times during this life, we have things happen to us or to our family members um, that are not pleasant, that are often very difficult. It could be health issues. We could have someone close to us die. Uh, you know, people every day are injured or killed in car wrecks. Just there's all kinds of things that can happen to us. 
I think a lot of times when these things happen, we think, God, why are you doing this to me? Or why are you allowing this to happen to me? We just went through a season, and I know these people are still dealing with it. We're in the Midwest. They had floods like they've never had in recent history. People have been affected. People have been killed. People have not been able to get their crops in the field. And we look at that and we say, why is God doing that to them? Or why is God allowing that to be done? Are they, did they do something? Is that the reason? The fact is that we live in this world, and this world is a natural world. Even though that we as Christians have been told that we need to separate ourselves from the world, we need to live different than the people of the world, the fact is that we live in this world, and therefore we have to live by the rules of nature. What I mean by that is there's certain things that we can't change. We have to live by the law of gravity. There's no skyscrapers around here, so we can't use that as an illustration, but there's probably a grain elevator somewhere. If you climb to the top of that elevator and you fall off, it doesn't matter physically if you're a Christian or not. Now, it matters a great deal spiritually if you are, but the end result when you hit the ground is going to be the same whether you're a Christian or not. You abide by the law of gravity. We talked about the floods. It doesn't matter physically again. If you're a Christian or not, if you build your house in a floodplain, it's liable to get flooded. So we have to live by the laws of nature. And one of those laws of nature is that there's going to be good times and there's going to be bad times. Job understood this and he talked about it. In the second chapter of Job, verse 10, if you'll remember, Job had a family. He had lots of possessions. He was considered a wealthy man. He lost all that. He even lost his health. It got to the point where Job's wife come to him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? Just end it. Be done with it. In verse 10 it says, But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job realized that in this life, in this world, we're going to have good times and we're going to have bad times. We're willing to take the good times when they come. We've got to be willing to suffer through the bad times when they come as well. We're also told many times throughout the New Testament that uh, God's not a respecter of persons. If you'll look at Matthew 5 and verse 45, Jesus says that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You know, when it rains and somebody over here gets more rain than another person, you know, we kind of jest and say, well, you know, you can tell who's been paying a preacher. 
But we know that's not right. God doesn't respect persons. He doesn't give one person reign and not the other because of the way they live or the things they've done. We live in a natural world and have to abide by nature. But what Jesus told these people is that they need to repent. To repent means to make a change. Jesus was telling these people that they needed to change the way they were thinking. When they were thinking that these people died because of the way they lived their life, Jesus said, that's wrong. You need to change the way you're thinking. We know that all men must die. And we also know that death is a result of sin. We're told that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. After Adam and Eve ate the fruit of that tree, death entered the world. But we also know through studying the Scriptures that God doesn't strike us down during this life for sin. I also think that sometimes we tend to look at repentance as something that's only needed by somebody that hasn't obeyed the gospel yet. And it's true that somebody that hasn't obeyed the gospel does need to repent. They do need to obey the gospel, but also it's true that oftentimes those that are members of the church that have obeyed the gospel, we often need to repent too. We're fixing to read the 6th through ninth verses. This is known as the parable of the fig tree. And I, I believe that this parable teaches that we're often in need of repentance. If you'll look at with me now the Luke 13 and verse 6. It says, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it, and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. There's a few things I'd like to... Thank you, Sean. <clears throat> there are a few things I'd like to notice about this parable. The first was that... We'll back up a little bit. This, in this parable, I believe the vineyard represents a church. The owner of the vineyard would be God. The dresser of the vineyard would be Jesus. And this tree that it's talking about, this fig tree, would be a Christian in the church. This tree was planted there. It was there on purpose and for a purpose. In Romans 6 and verse 5, 
It says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. This is speaking about obeying the gospel. If we've been planted together, if we've been baptized in the likeness of Jesus' death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. But we see here this idea of being planted. Also in the Acts, the second chapter, in verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And then in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So we see this idea of these people being added. In verse 41, it just says it added unto them. Well, what were they added to? In verse 47, it says the Lord added to the church. As we obey the gospel... God adds us to the church. He plants us in that vineyard, just as this tree was planted in that vineyard. What was the purpose of this tree? Trees are usually planted for one of three things. One, they're pretty to look at. You know, some trees, they'll bloom and flower real pretty. Maybe in the fall, the leaves change color and they're really pretty to look at. Another reason you'd plant a tree is for shade. This time of year, it doesn't matter how hot it is, you have a big tree that gives a lot of shade, you get under it, feel the breeze, and it, it's rather pleasant. But the purpose of this tree was to bear fruit. We understand that. We plant trees. We like apricots and peaches and apples, so we'll plant trees for the fruit. This tree was planted in this vineyard to bear fruit. In the 15th chapter of John, verses 1 through 5, <clears throat> Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. <coughs> We're told that the only way that we can bear fruit is through Jesus. If we go off on our own, try to do things our own way, we cannot bear fruit. Unless we're rooted in that true vine, we cannot bear fruit. <coughs> Continuing in John 15, verses 6 through 8. Jesus says, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Without 
Jesus, without being rooted in Christ, will wither away. Once we start withering away, we'll be cut off and cast away. Romans 7, verse 4 It says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that ye should bring forth fruit unto God. Now in this passage, to get a little context, they're talking about marriage. A husband and a wife. And he tells them that when they become married, that they should bring forth fruit. What kind of fruit does a marriage bring forth? That's children. You bring forth these children and you're bearing fruit. But what kind of fruit is it that we as Christians have been commanded to bear? What kind of fruit is it that when God comes and looks at the tree that is our life planted in this vineyard, what is He looking for? I would say first and foremost, souls. He wants us to be bringing souls to the church. In Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, very familiar passage here. Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We're to be going out and gaining souls for, the, for God, bringing them to the church. Another way that we can bear fruit is by glorifying God. In Isaiah 43, verse 7, it tells us that that's the reason that we were created. It says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him. We have been created to glorify God. Another way we can bear fruit is by helping others. In Galatians 6, in verse 3, it says, For if a man think himself to be something, pardon me, verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then also in verse 10, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So we can bear fruit by helping others. Another thing that we notice about from this parable this tree wasn't just planted, but it was planted in a certain spot. It was planted in a vineyard. A vineyard is a place of opportunity, just as the church to us today is a place of opportunity for us. This vineyard, or, or orchard, whichever, however you think of it, it was designed with a purpose. I'm sure you've all been driving down the road and saw an orchard planted. And you look at it one way and the rows are all 
perfectly straight, every tree in line. You get a little bit further and you look this way and everything's still in the perfect line. And then you get further around and look this way and everything's still... They've all been planted in a specific spot with a purpose and they're planted in such a way to give each tree in that orchard the best opportunity. They're given the optimum amount of space. They're given the optimum amount of water, amount of fertilizer. Everything in that orchard, orchard is done to maximize the opportunity that that tree has to produce. And I believe that's the way that we are in the church today. The church is designed in a way to give each Christian the op maximum opportunity to produce. This tree wasn't just a wild tree growing out somewhere. It wasn't a tree that came up volunteering in the orchard. It was planted there. In the 25th chapter of Matthew, verses 14 through 30, we find there the parable of the talents. We won't turn and read that parable this morning. I think most of us are probably pretty familiar with that. But in that parable, God gave each of those three men an opportunity. They didn't all have the same opportunity, but they all had an opportunity. God gave them opportunity as He saw fit that they could handle. Some maybe couldn't handle the same, as much opportunity as others could, but they all had opportunity and were expected to do something with that opportunity. Going back to our parable this morning, we noticed that the tree failed. It had its opportunity and it failed. In the fifth chapter of Matthew, starting in verse 3, <clears throat> Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth. These people that Jesus is talking about were being fruitful. They were blessed. Now if you'll turn to Revelations, the third chapter, we'll read about some, some that were not being fruitful. In Revelation 3, verse 15 and 16, it says, I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. This was in a letter that Christ told 
John to write to the church at Laodicea. I hope I said that right. These people weren't doing anything. They weren't taking care or taking advantage of the opportunities they were given. I like coffee. I drink coffee first thing in the morning. I like to drink coffee in the evenings. Sometimes when I come in, even if it's a hot day, I'll drink coffee in the middle of the day. But one thing about my coffee, I like it hot. If it sits there in that cup for a little while and it gets kind of room temperature and I get a drink, I don't like that. I go pour it out, I get more. I've never tried it, but I've heard people drink iced coffee. But my point is, we want it hot or we want it cold. We don't want it in between. God's the same with us. He'd rather us be either hot and on fire or just sure enough cold. He doesn't want it in the middle. This tree was a hindrance. In verse 7 it says that it cumbers the ground. This unfruitful tree is using water and nutrients, taking up space, all these things that another tree could be using that is producing fruit. Most of us understand this, uh, whether we actually involved in agriculture or not, we're close enough in this area to agriculture that we understand this. If we plant a crop and we have a plant there that's not producing, it's basically a weed. It's taken away from the plants next to it that is producing. In Romans 14 and 13, we're warned about this. It says, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. We need to be careful that the things that we're doing are not hindering somebody else. If we're not producing fruit, we don't need to let that hinder somebody else from, from producing. Not only are we warned about hindering others or being a hindrance, but we also see an example in the second chapter of Mark of some people that refuse to be hindered. In Mark 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, Then again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. There was such a crowd around this house where Jesus was that these four men carrying the other one on the bed could not get through the crowd 
to see Jesus. But they had enough faith that if they could just get in there and see Jesus, that this one would be healed. They had enough faith that they didn't let that crowd hinder them from seeing Jesus. They climbed up on the roof, tore a hole in the roof, and let the sick down through there. That's the way we need to be. If there are those around about us that are not producing fruit, we can't let them hold us back. We can't let the crowd hinder us from producing the fruit that we should. We should have the faith to do what it takes to, to produce that fruit. What was the verdict for this tree in the vineyard? The owner of the vineyard should cut it down. Get rid of it. Throw it in the burn pile. But the dresser of the vineyard said, hang on just a minute. Let's give it one more chance. Remember in John 15 and verse 6, we talked about the branch that's withered away, and then it's cast out, and it's burnt. Matthew 25, verse 30, that unprofitable servant in the parable of the talents, the one that took his talent and didn't do anything with it. He didn't take advantage of the opportunity that he had. In the 30th verse of that, of Matthew 25, Jesus says, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We can see what the verdict will be if we're not fruitful. We'll be cast out. What do we do if we're not being fruitful? We've got to change from being barren to a state of fruitfulness. We've got to repent. Just as Jesus told these people in verses 3 and 5, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. The dresser of the vineyard, which we said earlier, represent Jesus, intervened on behalf of this tree. He made three requests. He asked for time, the opportunity to nurture it, and the opportunity to feed it. How many times has Jesus already intervened on my behalf or your behalf? How many times has he come to the keeper of the vineyard and said, a little bit more time. Give me a little bit more time. We know that God is merciful towards us. God wants each and every one of us to obey the gospel. He wants us to produce the fruit that he would have us produce. We also know that he's not going to let sin go on forever. In 2 Peter 3, verses 9 through 12, It says there, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. You know, some people would say, it's been over 2,000 years since Christ went back to heaven. He hadn't come back yet. We've had all this stuff going on in the world. He hasn't come back yet. He's not coming. It says here that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. 
But his long suffering to usward, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then in verse 10, but, that's not a very big word. It carries lots of meaning. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which a heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. A day is coming, folks. The day is coming. If you would, take out your songbooks. And as you get your songbook out and you turn to the song that's been selected this morning, I want you to do a little judgment. Not of your neighbor, not of the person sitting in the seat next to you, but I want to think about yourself. Are you bearing fruit? How many times has Christ already stood up and said, a little bit more time right here, God, a little bit more time. We're not guaranteed any more time than what we've already had. We don't know, but in the next instant, Christ might come back to earth. The world will be over. Melt with the fervent heat that we just read about. Or the world may not end, but individually we may be out of time. Some of us may not make it home tonight. As terrible as that is to think about, it happens all the time. Every day, every minute of the day, people are killed in car accidents. There's all kinds of ways that it could be over. We don't know what the future holds, but we have now. If you haven't been bearing fruit and need to make a change in your life, the time is now.